Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Well, if I haven't met you, uh, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Mateo, and uh, it's, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through a series on money. And so hopefully, over the past couple of weeks, you've been able to kind of uh, ask yourself, you know, what's my relationship with money? Um, how, how is it going? And, you know, the thing about money is that, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's all about math, right? It's all, it's just numbers, Right? It's, it's the cold, hard facts. It's, you know, when you go into the store and you want to buy the orange, the orange costs $3, but you have $2, you can't buy the orange. Right? It's just about numbers. But there's this other side to money that it's kind of tied to our emotions. You know, for some of us, when we think about money, you might feel stressed, worried, anxious. And the amount of money may not make a difference at all, right? You might have a lot of money or a little bit of money and still kind of be up at night worried about money. You know, one of the things we know is that uh, studies have shown that one of the main reasons people say that they get divorced is financial reasons. Because money is not just about numbers. It's not just math. It's actually deeply connected to our hearts. And if we're not careful it can become this kind of destructive force in our lives, in our relationships. And the Bible warns us about that. So think about it for yourself. When you think of money in your daily life, what emotions come up for you? Is it stress? Worry? Maybe pride? Maybe guilt? Maybe you feel the burden of debt, this weight. You know, and sometimes we think, ah, when I fix the numbers problem, then that's going to solve the heart problem. You know, if I just make a little bit more money, and then the worry and the fear and the stress goes away, and then usually what we find that that's not true. We make a little bit more money, and then we spend more money. So what emotions come up for you? What do you think of money? And is it possible for us to be people that when we think about money and our money habits, that it brings up feelings of of joy. Not because of how much we have, but because of what I did with what I had. What, what was given to me. Is that possible? And you know, uh, the Bible talks about this. It talks about how there is a way of handling money that is connected to joy. And it has a lot to do with, uh, with generosity. And so, this guy, uh, Paul, he writes a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And he writes a letter to a church in Corinth. 
And uh, he writes to the church in Corinth, and this, the, the church in Corinth is filled with Gentiles, okay? And most of them are pretty well off. And he says to them, well, first of all, he's wanting to collect money for victims of a famine in Judea for Jewish uh, Christians, non-Gentiles. And this is what he says to them. Look at what he says. Second Corinthians 9, there should be a slide. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, listen, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not forcing you to give. I don't want you to give from a place of guilt or shame or compulsion. He says, I want you to give from a place of joy. I want you to give because you want to give. Because something happened to you when you met Jesus. And because giving generously gives you joy. Now the problem is, when we read something like that, is how do you get there? Right? How do you get to a place where giving brings you joy? You know, uh, Jesus often talks about money and possessions and the heart, and especially in the context of greed. And one day, while Jesus is teaching to the crowd, one man comes up to him and he says, uh, he has this request, and you're going to see it on the screen. He says this, he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, in that culture, the older brother would have received what's called the double portion of the inheritance. So the older brother would have double than all the other brothers. And you know what Jesus says? Shocking response. He says, no. He says, no. Who put me in charge of you and your brother? And then he says this. In verse 15, he says this. Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. It's as if he's saying, to this man, you think this is a numbers problem? It's actually a heart problem. You think it's a fairness problem? It's actually a problem of the heart, a problem of greed. He says, watch out. Guard yourself. Greed is kind of one of the tricky sins. You know, compared to all the other sins, greed is unique. It's a little bit different. See, for starters, how do you know when someone is greedy? How do you know? For a lot of people, the assumption is, well, if you have a lot of money, you're greedy. Now, how much money? What's the number? We don't know. Well, think about it for yourself. What's the number that comes to mind when you feel like when you have this amount of money, you are greedy? Is there a number? Or maybe it's something that people have to own. When you own five yachts, I don't know. Or a yacht that causes a bridge to have to be... Despite, never, never, I'm not going to talk about it. Think about it. Who comes to mind for you when you think of greed? Is it someone you know personally, or is it someone you've heard about? It seems to be that we have this natural bias to equate rich with greed. Now, to be fair, to be fair, there are a lot of warnings about being rich in the Bible. But, do you know that you could have very little money and still be greedy. Remember in the story who is asking the question in the first place. Is it the brother with a lot of money or the brother with less money? It's the brother with less money. 
It's the brother with less money that causes Jesus to start talking about greed. See, the lesson here is that just because someone has more money, it doesn't mean that they are greedy. And just because someone has less money, it doesn't mean they are not greedy. See, greed is not a numbers problem. It's a problem of the heart. It's a heart problem. That's why Jesus says, watch out. Be careful. The other reason why greed is such a tricky sin is that really it's hard to spot in ourselves, isn't it? How do you know when you're greedy? How do you know? I mean, I I think I know when I'm lying, unless I'm lying to myself. I know when I gossip. I know when I'm stealing, right? Nobody stealing says, I don't know if I'm really stealing, you know. It's not up for a debate, right? It's, it's there. It's, it happens. It's, there's, a, there's a physical reference to it. But greed is different. There's nothing, there's no clear flag where it's like, okay, now you're greedy. There's no simple line. You can't really put a dollar amount on it. Because greed is not a numbers issue. It's a heart issue. And if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that, we'll never believe that we're greedy. Because there will always be someone with more money. There will always be someone with more stuff. And we'll look and we'll say, I don't have that much stuff, so I'm not greedy. See, you could have a little or you could have a lot and still be captured by greed. So Jesus says, watch out, be careful. Look out for the greed that arises in your heart. And then he follows with this parable. And this is what he says. And, and it's actually a parable about a rich man. So let's, let's see what he says. He says, a certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. And he said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way, Jesus says, it will be for those who hoard the things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Interesting parable. Um, Now, I, I wonder, where does the greed happen? At what point in the story does the greed really happen? Is it when he produced a bountiful crop? He was a good farmer, good worker, productive. Is that, is that, was that the greed? Was it when he decided to build bigger barns, renovations? Renovations is a sin. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. Or, or maybe when he decided he had enough work. It's time to retire. Retirement. Or early retirement. It's wrong. When did the greed happen? When did the greed take hold of his heart? Now, it's not clear. We could speculate. We could, we could wonder. Um, but there is a hint. It's in what God says to him. What does God say to him? He says, fool, now that you die, who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? He said, he's like saying, did you have anyone in mind but yourself? All this pushing, all this working, all this ambition, all this making money was all about you. See, now, we know that greed doesn't physically kill you, right? We're pretty sure, at least, right? Greed doesn't physically kill you. 
because this is, this is a parable. It's meant to be symbolic. So what is he saying about greed? See, greed causes a kind of death in us that makes us blind to the needs of others. And when that happens, generosity becomes nearly impossible. When that happens, generosity cannot be joyful. Generosity is only possible in that context when I use it to get what I want. It's a way to get something back, right? Now, when Jesus talks about greed here, he tells us to watch out for all types of greed. The word for greed in the Greek is this great word. It's really fun to say. You say, pleonexia. Can you say that? Pleonexia. No one's saying it. Come on. Pleonexia. This is a great name for like a Greek metal band or something. And it's this picture of stockpiling and hoarding and accumulation without a number, without an end goal in mind. It's this excessive desire for more and more with the belief that if, if only I have just a little bit more, I'll be okay, I'll be secure. And the point of the parable, of course, is that it never happens. When he thinks he made it, he dies. All of his wealth can't save him. It's like when you're pushing yourself to get more and to make more and to achieve more, but you don't actually know what the number is, what the end goal is. The goal is elusive. It never really gets defined, and every step you get closer to that goal, it gets further and further away, and it leads to this death in us. Now, underlying this greed, there's something else that's going on. Jesus now is going to tie greed to other emotions, emotions of worry and fear. Then comes Jesus' famous teaching on this topic, and he says, starting verse 22, it says, therefore, by the way, every time you read the word therefore in the Bible, a little tip, ask, what is it? Therefore. Get it? Yeah, it's a little cheesy, I know. (laughs) Just ask, when you see the word therefore, ask, what is it therefore? He's talking about something. He says, therefore, because everything I told you about greed, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. There is more to to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than the birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? Now, later on, he's going to talk about fear. Now, initially, when I read this, and, I, you know, out of context, I, I think I have this picture of Jesus, like Jesus the hippie. Anybody else? Like, so Jesus, you're saying, no, we shouldn't have a bank account? Like, we shouldn't save money? We, we shouldn't go to work? We, we shouldn't pay the bills? I mean, think about it. Should the church have a budget? Should the church have a team that plans financially? Now, of course, Jesus is aware of the many biblical references that encourage a wise use and management of money. So what is going on here? Jesus is showing us that there's, there's a relationship here between greed and worry. There's a kind of worry around money and possessions that if we're not careful, it leads to greed. See, sometimes beneath the surface of greed is actually worry, fear. And the solution that Jesus gives, it's amazing. He says, consider the ravens. 
Later on, he's going to talk about flowers. He says, look at creation. Look all around you and see how generous God is. You know what's special about ravens? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. I mean, Jesus, you could have chosen something more majestic like, you know, eagles. In fact, um, the ravens in the Old Testament were viewed as an uh, unclean animal, okay? So you had to kind of avoid ravens. And Jesus is like, don't you know that God cares? Even for the unclean animals? See, Jesus looks at the most basic things. He doesn't see a bird. He sees generosity. He sees God at work. He sees God's provision. I mean, when was the last time you looked at, uh, I don't know, snow and thought, wow, God is so generous? No, but really, it, I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying all the greed in the world happens because people don't trust in the goodness, the grace, the generosity of God. And it's all around us, isn't it? You know, Jesus is saying something about how the world works. For Jesus, the universe is this big and mysterious and beautiful creation that has abundance and blessing and generosity built into it. Built into the universe is this abundance of resources and opportunities and potential, and it's all a gift, a gift. You know, like a good Jew, Jesus would have memorized the creation stories in in Genesis 1 and 2. And in, in those stories, what you find is God as this creator, and he creates this beautiful creation, and at every phase of the creation, he steps back and he says, it's so good, it's good. He takes pleasure in creating. He takes pleasure in generosity. And then he puts humans in the creation and he says, listen, I started the creation. Now you continue the process. Take my generosity and multiply it as my image bearers. And then when Adam and Eve start doing that, then God says, it's very good. He's taking pleasure in this generosity that's being multiplied. And so the Bible begins with this creation that has abundance built into it. And when you participate in that abundance, the right way, you multiply it. You multiply. It's kind of like, you know, God provides soil and seeds, but he does not create bread. Humans do. God does not create tools that build buildings, homes, and hospitals. Humans do. God does not create businesses that provide jobs, economic well-being, humans do. God does not invent medicine that can save the lives of millions of people, humans do. How? By taking the abundance built into the creation and participating in it. The possibility for technology, innovation, creativity was built into the universe and it's all grace, it's all gift, it's all God's generosity. When you're in a car or flying on a plane or texting with a phone or turning on the heat in your house, all of that is made possible because of God's generosity. That's why Paul will say, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. It's all grace. It's all gift. And so Jesus looks at a bird and he says, can you see God's generosity? Do you see it? And so much of the messages in our culture around money is meant to to make us feel anxious, right? Meant Meant to make us feel worried. 
make you feel like there's not enough. There's no creation. There's no generosity built into the world. Everything's random. There's limited money in the world. You better get what's yours because the world is divided into winners and losers. Are you a winner or a loser? Now, it's easy to believe this. Very easy to live like this, right? How many, how many of you panic shoppers? Any panic shoppers? Better buy that now before the sales end. You're going to miss out. You better invest while the stocks are down or else you're going to miss out. Or it's like, you know, sometimes I like to buy or sell things on Facebook Marketplace and I negotiate pretty hard. And something in me is like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get a fair deal. I just want to win the deal. How many of you? Anybody else? I just want to win. It's this belief that there's just not enough. God's not generous. You've got to make it yourself. Cheat people. Do whatever it takes. See, in a world like that, greed is easy. Generosity is hard. This is the problem with the rich fool, right? And Jesus says, look, consider the ravens. See how generous God is. There's actually lots to go around. All of it is a gift. And if only we would tap into that and see that, our life would change. How we think about money, our possessions, how we share, how we buy, how we spend, how we sell, would change. Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues. And this is what he says. He says, don't chase after what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, desire or seek, some translations say, his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Notice the progression, what we've learned so far. One, watch out for the greed. It's tricky. It's not a numbers game. It's a heart game. Watch out for greed. Two, learn to see God's generosity in all things. In the most mundane things, learn to see God's generosity there. And three, desire the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. What kingdom is Jesus talking about? You know, for the Jew in the first century, when they hear the word kingdom, they're thinking about freedom from the oppression of Rome, which means freedom from Roman tax, the taxation. That makes sense. Right? I'll stop worrying about money and I'll be more generous when there's less taxes. Any amens? <laughs> or you might read this and you read, you know, treasures in heaven and, you know, uh, maybe that makes you think, oh, what Jesus is saying is that when we die, we're, we're going to be rich in heaven when we die on the streets, you know, walking the streets of gold. Right? How do you desire that? How do you, how do you seek for that? When Jesus is talking about seeking and desiring the kingdom, he's talking about something here and now. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about, the ki- he says the kingdom's at hand. He says when you pray, pray that the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. See, when Jesus talks about a kingdom, he is talking about what Paul refers to as a new creation. It's a restarting of the Genesis 1 story. 
a new humanity, a new community living in partnership with the generosity of God so that his generosity can be multiplied, making an impact so that those who are far from him can come closer to him, can come to know him. That's what Adam and Eve were supposed to do and they failed. That's what Israel was supposed to do and they failed. And then Jesus comes along, you know, he takes the basic things of creation. He takes fish, he takes bread, and he multiplies it. He feeds thousands of people. He says, this is kind of like a picture of the kingdom. But he, he, he says to, to his disciples, to you, you will do greater things. You know, when I was a kid, about uh, 10, 12 years old, I, uh, I came into a lot of money, like 60 bucks, okay? <laughs> With inflation, that was like 1,000 bucks back then. And anyways, I came, I came into the money, and, I, and I, it was probably birthday money or something like that. And I, and I remember going to bed and having this money and uh, realizing, oh, I need to give some of this money to God. And I came up with this great idea. I thought, okay, what I will do is I will take the money, and this is what I did. I took the money, and I took it out of my wallet, and I put it on my desk near the window. And, and I go to bed, and I pray, and I say, God, I want you to have all this money. You can have it all. You could decide how much you want. You could take it all. You could leave me some, whatever. Send an angel or something. You could have the money. So I'm thinking, great. I go to bed, thinking so generous. I wake up the next morning. Guess what happens to the money? It's still there. Just there. And so I think, wow, God has blessed my generosity. (laughs) He decided that I should keep all the money. I believed that, and I took the money, and I kept it, and I felt good. I felt good about myself. Now, sometimes, I think we think this way when it comes to money in God's kingdom, right? If God wants me to give money, he'll just kind of magically take it, right? An angel will come and take the money, or if ever I need money, God will just magically provide, like I'll find a check in the mail. Now, sometimes that might happen, but really that's not the main way it works, I'm thinking about it. Do you think that the 180 would still be functioning if that was what we relied on? Just hope we find a check in the mail this week, guys. No. For Jesus, the kingdom is connected to a new kind of community marked by generosity. So transformed by the generosity of God that they can't help but give. That's why Jesus will say that the kingdom is the good news to the poor because the poor are cared for in this community. Now, we need to get this in the right order. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, hey, when you get your act together, together, God will give you the kingdom. He says, hey, when you're generous, God will forgive your sins. He doesn't say that. When you sell your possessions and give to the poor, then God, God's going to let you into the kingdom. You know, some people will have you believe today that, you know, God just wants you to be rich. And the way that you can be rich is to be generous to me, right? God wants you to be rich. Just use generosity as a way to get rich. God will make you rich if you're generous. I hope that we see that Jesus is saying kind of the opposite. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. You've been given the kingdom. God is pleased to give you the kingdom. It's already available to you. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. There was nothing special about you. See, God is generous with us even when we are not. 
I mean, think, think about your own life. I think about my life. Like, there was times that I was generous, and God was generous with me. And there's times that I was not generous, and God was generous with me. Is that not true? See, at the heart of the story of the Bible is that God offers himself to us before we can do anything to deserve it. So Paul sends a letter to the Corinthian church. And he says, I don't want you to give from a place of compulsion. I don't want you to give from a place of guilt, from a place of fear, from a place of pressure. He says, I want you to give from a place of knowing how generous God has been with you. I want you to give because you want to give because you are set free from greed and you want others to be set free from greed. Because when you met Jesus, something happened in you. And now giving brings you nothing but joy. What would it look like? What would it look like for us as a, as a church community, for our city, if we were a community marked by that kind of radical generosity? What would it look like? What would happen to our families? What would happen to your marriage? What would happen to your kids? What would happen to the people around us who are far from God and just believe that everything is random? There's no generosity. What generosity? What would happen? You know, Jesus is not only encouraging us to be, have this radical generosity, he's encouraging us to have a radical trust. When was the last time you gave in such a way where you had to trust in God? And, you know, Jesus, and he points to this treasure. He says, hey, on the other side of this, there is a treasure. There is something more beautiful, more rewarding, more lasting, more life-giving than anything else you can find. He says, desire that kingdom. Would you stand with me and pray? God, help us to... uh, Truly believe in your generosity. Help us uh, in times that we're, where we're afraid, where we're um, so consumed by the troubles of this world, the pressures, the anxieties, and the temptation to just accumulate with no end. Help us instead to trust in your goodness and your grace towards us, your generosity towards us. God, help us to have an imagination of what you might do in and through us as we learn to let go of the things that we so tightly hold on to. God, help us to be open to something new that you might want to do in our hearts. Even now as we go, that you would uh, teach us to trust in you more. Teach us to, to, to see your generosity in the mundane tasks and mundane things of everyday life to see your hand at work, your provision, that you love us more. You love us more than the ravens. Help us to have a bigger picture of your love so that it would change us, so that we would not give out of a place of compulsion or fear or pressure, but a place of knowing how generous you've been with us. We ask that you would do this because only you can do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Mateo. Uh, I, I just want to say one thing before Mateo leaves. Is you all got a picture this week uh, of just Mateo being generous with us. You know, I thought about we texted back and forth, and he was starting a new job and kind of juggling things, and, you know, really blessed to have his gifts and 
obviously his family part of our church. And so thank you for modeling for us what it means to be generous with, with your time and w- with your gift of, of learning and the scriptures. And so can we th- just thank Mateo for that gift? Uh, thank you, bro. Thanks. Appreciate it. I, I, uh, I, I, see Sh- I don't know if I see Sean here, but I, I wanted us to just do one, uh, one song if we can. It, it's, it's really important, I think, for us to think about what it means that we've taken a journey for three weeks together talking about money, and it's wrapping up this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I often have thought about this as we've been going through this series to do something really awkward, but we won't do it. But I'll tell you what it is, and you can tell me if you think it's awkward. Uh, I just thought about what it would mean for us to invite some of you who are feeling the burden of just debts in your life. Just the burdens of maybe buying things and you're like, I can't believe I did that. Now my family's feeling the pressure of, you know, of buying things and having to pay for that. That I can't be generous the way I think God's calling me to be generous. And so I thought it'd really be nice if maybe you feel the freedom of what it means to come up as a sign of saying, God, just set me free from the way I'm prone to make bad decisions related to money. Because the world has taught me this pattern of being greedy or hoarding more. And when God says it's time to be generous now, you're like, I I don't really have anything, but one day I will. And it's always hard to do that. Already it's hard to talk about money because it's like, whoa, money in church. But then to say, come on up and tell everybody that you're in debt. Woohoo! Awkward, right? Let's do it anyway. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, but but I just, we're going to sing this song. And and before we sing the song, I just want to invite you to maybe bring that to God this morning. To bring kind of maybe some of the mistakes you've made and to know that God is listening and He loves you and He loves me. I'm not always a good father. My kids tell me they broke something or, or, or did something with something I gave them, I get upset, but God is not like us. He says, just come and acknowledge some of this. And maybe for you, it's this morning, as you do that as a prayer, you might feel the sense of freedom. I just think of some of the times in my life where I felt like the world was weighing me down and God says, let me, let me carry that. And you just feel like a new sense of direction or clarity as it relates to your finances. But in a minute, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to just pray. Just a prayer of God's blessing over our church. Not for us. Not so, not so we would have more. But a spirit of God's blessing over us so that we would do what Matteo highlighted for us in the scriptures. That we would look for places where we could give more. That we would look for places where we could say, I can't, where are the needs so I could give so that the joy and the cheerfulness of God's ways bubble up to the surface? Where is that? Rather than saying, I hope nobody asks me because I've got to keep my stuff. So let's just sing this before we pray together and we ask God to just set us free in a deep way.
There's no secret for this. We all live in a world that will offer us all kinds of other options for how to think about our place in God's kingdom, our resources, the way we're generous. And we have to commit together to say, God, we want to be those who see everything we have as an act of worship. That means God has to have our hearts. And at different times, I think we're tested as to whether God has that. So in a minute, I'm going to pray for us before we go. And I want to tell you just a thought about this as Mateo was sharing and what it means for, for me as well, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, to practice generosity, to teach my family and my kids what it means that what we have is the Lord's and that we're ready to surrender that and to give and to be generous. A few weeks ago, we were traveling with our family, and I remember I got to my car, and my kids were with me, and I saw a wallet on the floor next to my car door. And a person next to our car, probably when they got out, their wallet fell out, and there was cash that was kind of coming out of it. And I saw it, I was like, oh, somebody's wallet. And you know, I, I had this moment where I'm like, well, no one's here, and you know, I don't know what we're gonna do, you know, I'm gonna give it to someone else, they're gonna take the money. You know, so I took the money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I had a moment that you're like, I don't even need this money, but there's something in me that says, well, well, no one will know. I'm like, greed is so powerful. The world's ways are so powerful. Even when we don't need more, we just want more. And I was like, this is ridiculous. What it means to be formed, that in those moments, those ways do not have our hearts. You know, I was with my kids and I said, you know what, let's just grab this. And there was like a hotel not far. And I'm like, probably the person went there and checked in and, you know, I'm like, how do I, whoever lost this wallet is like losing their mind, right? That I was thinking about me, how I, I feel. So I went to the front and I said to the lady, I found this wallet and we looked at the person's name. She says, you know what, that person stayed here a few days ago. And maybe they're traveling. And you know, she had said, it's so amazing that you just dropped this off. Do you want us to give them your number so they could call you? I'm like, yeah, they should know I'm amazing. Like I'm gonna tell, tell them and maybe they'll give me money. And again, I had a moment where God's like, no. It's like, they don't need to know who I am. Just hope they get their wallet leaving. All of these things are the ways of Jesus that shape our hearts differently than the way the world shapes our hearts. And so when we give, we are practicing a way of worship that makes the ways of the world impossible to attach themselves to our heart. 
that people who see us will be confused about why we live this way. But Mateo said it so well. It's because we're people of the kingdom of Jesus. And our God is more generous than we could ever imagine. So we want to live that way and model that. So if you're here this morning and you're maybe feeling just the burden of paying the bills, of just revisiting mistakes around finances, maybe bad purchases, temptations to greed. I think of the, the gambling machine of our world of people who are tempted every day to gamble and lose their lives and their homes, whatever that is. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he can set you free. So if that's you, as we close your eyes, close our eyes, now I'm going to pray. Just surrender this to Jesus. Just pray together. Father, thank you that you are not a God of shame or a God of guilt, but you are always honest. And your word is true that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we pray that you would protect us in a world filled with abundance, in a world oozing with so many good things that you would keep us from making those good things great things or ultimate things. I pray you would help us to be those who are very sensitive to when the evil one will use the patterns of this world to tempt us. In a special way, I pray supernatural strength for those who are in this room now who need to be set free from the power of greed, the ways of gambling, the ways of spending that is disordered, that lacks wisdom, and that lacks judgment. Jesus, would you just answer this prayer for us? Would you set families free and would you begin to heal marriages that have felt the pressure of debts and stress so that a next generation would see the beauty of your generosity? I pray for us as a church that you would continue to help us as we look for opportunities to give back, to serve, to care, so that your kingdom would expand in this world. Would we look back on even these teaching weeks and know that you have done something deep in us, not because you need our money, but because something happens in us when we learn to give back to you, a God who always gives to us. Jesus, protect us from the ways of this world and keep us attentive to the way the evil ones, the evil one will teach us to maybe love money and to put our trust in things that are not you. Would you go with us now as we go? Would you be honored in how we live, how we act, and even how we spend our money? As we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're really grateful. Thank you for uh, being really mature as a church. Listen, if you've been here uh, and you're new to the 180 and you've kind of caught us in a teaching series on money, we know that can be hard. Uh, just next week, we're starting a new teaching series called About Suffering. And I know we have no questions about suffering, but we're going to talk about that. Some of you are like, amen, clapping, all right. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to make it about money. You wait. Uh, <laughs> no, but next week, we start a new teaching series. We know that for many of us, maybe suffering or pain is hard to understand. And as we move towards Easter, actually, this is a great series for us to slow down on. We're going to be looking at some of the important passages in the book of Isaiah. So would you come back? Invite a friend maybe that you know that is carrying some pain or is struggling with some suffering issue or thinking about evil. And also we're going to celebrate communion.
together next week. And that's something we never want to miss. So I hope you can uh, commit to being here together. I just need to do a quick turnaround. Many of you know if you've signed up for our ministry partner meeting, it's happening right after the service. Uh, it's an important meeting for us. It's, it's just being really transparent with our giving and with where the church is headed. If you're, if you're not a ministry partner yet, uh, what are you waiting for? Uh, that's my little plug there. Uh, and if, if you're uh, kind of not staying for the meeting, I need you to quickly, please, just grab your children. <laughs> okay, a bit quicker than usual because we need to op up, open up the second part of the warehouse and we can't have kids running around in here. So if you have some little small ones, I know you want to mingle. If you're talking to someone and you have kids, I'm going to give you a secret. You're like, walk with me as I go get my kids. And if they don't have kids, you just say, what are you waiting for? You know, you should, something like that. Okay. Love you all. See you soon.